Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Unnecessary Roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, Raiders. Would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. And just when it looked like the offseason was going to come to a stop, when it was going to come to a slowdown, when there wasn't anything to talk about, All of a sudden, a big domino drops earlier in the day, and that was Baker Mayfield being traded officially, finally, to the Carolina Panthers. Matt Rule gets his guy. He thinks maybe he's going to get his guy. I think this is the last year for Matt Rule. If he doesn't get it done in Carolina this year, he'll probably be on the outside looking in. Baker Mayfield, you can say the same thing about him. If he doesn't get it done this year or doesn't show some kind of improvement or appeal to another team, maybe he's on the outside looking in as far as a starting quarterback in the NFL. That trade happens earlier today, so no longer a Cleveland Brown. Now, this is all pending a physical, but I have no doubt that Baker Mayfield is going to find a way to get it done, make sure that he passes physical and become a Carolina Panther. You have to wonder what's going to happen with Sam Darnold. Then you also have to wonder what's going to happen on with Jimmy G in uh, San Francisco. So there's still a couple more pieces out there, but a big one fell today as it became uh, it became noted that uh, Baker Mayfield was headed to the Carolina Panthers. One of the things we'll talk about on today's show. Welcome into Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. My man, Demon Cotton's in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. I'm at the home studio. And uh, the funny thing about it is I, I had an appointment. Uh, I was supposed to meet somebody at 1.30 here at the house. They were going to do some, do some work around the house. So I thought, okay, I'll meet them at 1.30. I'll do the show. No problem. Well, Raider Nation is 202, and they're still not here. They're not here. Just can't find good help these days. I, I, don't, I don't know what the case may be. I don't, I don't understand. I really don't. There's not too many things that just drive me crazy. But when you tell someone that, hey, I'm going to be there at 130, I find a way to make it happen, and then you're not there. It drives me crazy. So now they're going to show up. I promise you what's going to happen. In the next three hours, they're going to show up ringing the doorbell, and I'm going to be up here talking on the radio. And it's just nothing I could do about it. So then they're going to call. I, I showed up, but you weren't there. No, 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 no. You showed up uh, late, brother. So, I mean, that's just what it is. So you're just not going to get the service at all? Not from them. Hey, man, look, this, that's the cost of business, brother. If you make an appointment, you're trying to you're, – I mean, you want me to pay you, but yet you're not going to be on time for an appointment to try to talk about business. Like, that's – anyone in business will tell you that that's bad business. If I had an appointment for anything – if I was supposed to be somewhere at 130, you know where I'd be? I'd be there at 130. Promise you. It's just it's just how it is. So, no. No, not going to not going to get their service, but it's okay. There's someone out there that's going to want to get paid, right? So, uh, we'll find someone quick, fast, in a hurry. But I'm here to talk some football, talk some sports for the next three hours. My man, DeMond Cotton, and your boy Q, of course, going to have a lot of fun on today's show. Have a lot of good guests that I'm really excited about. Tomorrow we'll be at Summer League. You can put that in your notes. We'll be at the Thomas and Mack Center. I'm so excited and fired up about that. Uh, just It's something I look forward to every single year. So I think that Thomas and Mack on Thursday and Thomas and Mack on Friday. So we're going to double dip, and then we might be out there throughout the course of the week next week as well. I'm, I'm like, like I said, I'm so fired up about it it is one of my favorite events each and every year we gave out a lot of tickets to that so if you're going make sure you holler at us they have a really nice setup i'm gonna tweet out a picture of it a little bit later uh they have a great setup where we're going to be uh uh, doing our shows from it's a lot nicer than it has been uh, even last year and last year was nice but this year it's going to be off the chain so very excited about our opportunity at summer league tomorrow but before we get to tomorrow we got to get to today so coming up at 2 30 deontay lee from the athletic he's going to join the show he's our good friend he's going to talk all things nfl defenses and i really want to focus in on defense on today's show and yesterday we talked a lot about Derek carr we talked about the yards we talked about the touchdowns we talked a lot of offense right today i really want to focus in on the defense and to help us do that is going to be deontay lee and the, the reason why one, he's just really good at breaking down defenses. He put down – he had a piece that he dropped in, like, mid-June about uh, five potential teams with uh, boom or bust 
type defenses. The Raiders weren't listed on there, but he understands what he's looking at. You know, he's a he's a football coach. He's he knows what he's looking for. And a lot of the conversation that we've been having throughout the course of the offseason is Patrick Graham. Patrick Graham is going to run a three four base scheme, and yeah, I, I do that in air quotes because a lot of the times defenses are in nickel, and a lot of people are saying, "Hey, it's not going to be a big deal. Not too much of a transition. These guys are football players. They're going to be able to go out there and execute." And I do believe that that's true. But at the same time, there is still little nuances that are going to be a little bit different from the defense that you saw a year ago. So I just want to pick Deontay's brain and just ask him about, you know, how quickly can they pick up the Patrick Graham scheme, which is a little bit more complicated than the Gus Bradley scheme. And the last time we saw a Raiders team with a complicated defense, they didn't do so well. Now, that was Paul Gunther. He's not very good of a teacher, in my opinion, and I think that Patrick Graham is. So not trying to poo-poo on what Patrick Graham's going to bring to the table or say that the defense is going to struggle, but it might take a little while in training camp before they actually understand the nuances of the defense and exactly what they want done. So we'll talk to Deontay about the 3-4, the 4-3. We'll talk about how the, a lot of times they're in the nickel anyway and, you know, just what that means for guys like Max Crosby, Denzel Perryman, who was a pro bowler, Chandler Jones. I mean, there's just what, what it means – going forward. And I think it's going to be a really good conversation. Plus, we'll talk some college football with him as well. Again, he's a football coach. He's a high school football coach. He has a lot of guys that uh, end up with D1 opportunities. And obviously, we know, as we had a really good conversation yesterday about college football, that the landscape of the collegiate game is really changing in the next few years. And it's going to look totally different than your father's uh, college football. Hell, it looks totally different than my college football, right? (laughs) What, (laughs) What I knew just a few years ago is not what college football looks like. So we'll talk to Deontay Lee coming up at 2.30. He's from The Athletic. That's going to be a really fun conversation I look forward to. At 3 o'clock we'll have cover three NFL news and notes of the day. Of course, already mentioned Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers. There's some other little notes that I want to get to. Wasn't able to get to cover three yesterday, so I want to just kind of scatter shoot with a few notes uh, coming up on today's show. Then at 3.30... Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. He's going to join us, and the reason he's going to join us, normally he joins the morning tailgate, and I like to keep you know guests that are on one, one show, I like to keep them with that same show so they get that kind of familiarity and they get you know just kind of not comfortable in that position, but just familiar with that position, and the audience gets familiar with them in that position, You know, kind of one of their go-to guests. And so normally I wouldn't have Sam on, not that he's not good, he's great, but he put out something about the G League. Uh, G, G League Ignite, the team that was based in Walnut Creek, California, the team that just had two guys drafted in the top 10 of this past NBA, year's NBA draft, is now relocating. They're moving from, uh, from Walnut Creek, California, which is a very nice area, by the way, and they're moving to Henderson, and they're going to be playing their games at the DLC, the Dollar Loan Center. So... At first, it was what? The Henderson Silver Knights were playing at the DLC. Then all of a sudden, you had the, uh, the indoor football squad. They're playing at the DLC. Then you have the indoor football squad championships playing at the DLC. Now you have the G League you know, Ignite, Ignite going to be playing at the DLC. What I'm trying to say is every one of these places that is popping up around the area, whether it's Summerlin, Vegas, Henderson, that has an arena or has a facility to hold some kind of big event is holding these big events, which is only creating just like a small little mecca is what I like to call it as far as sports goes. Obviously, Las Vegas is the granddaddy, right? It's got Allegiant Stadium, T-Mobile, MGM Grand. I mean, all the, all the facilities. And plus, there's places being built down there. But then if you look at Summerlin and they have the Las Vegas Ballpark and, of course, they have uh, the, the Golden Knights, their practice facility is there as well. I mean, there's a lot of great things there in Summerlin. Now, all of a sudden, look out. Look out. Here comes little bro. You know, Henderson's coming up now. And the DLC, which is a beautiful building, by the way, is all of a sudden getting more and more events. It's, it's just becoming a little hub, a little mecca for sports. I say it all the time to anyone that will listen to me. I'm so blessed that I was able to get a job here in Las Vegas covering sports when I did. Because, man, this thing is going to blow up. And there's going to be some big-time folks that are going to do everything they can, pound the table, call me, call everyone they can to try to get in the door here with Las Vegas Sports because there's so much going to be going on. And uh, just to be here in the early stages of it is great. So uh, we'll talk to Sam Gordon about the G League Ignite, going to the DLC, what that means. Is that the inevitable? You know, and I know, Damon, you got excited when I said that Sam was going to be on the show to talk about it because you, hey, you're, as far as you're concerned, that's the inevitable. The NBA will be here sooner than, rather than later. Oh, yeah. Like, I tweeted out as soon as I saw Mark Spears tweet about it. It's like, hey, yep. this, is, this is the first step to an NBA team coming to Vegas. Right. It and might that's... even be the second step. Ooh. <laughs> You know what I mean? It might already be the second step because they have a, an arena that's being built, you know, that big, massive facility that's being built in, in Las Vegas. Obviously, the Aces are already here playing at the Michelob Ultra Arena. Now, all of a sudden, you got the G League team coming. 
Hold on now. Hold on now. So, yeah, it might not even be the first step. It actually might be the second step to an NBA team already coming. It's, it's the inevitables on the way. Especially when you got guys like uh, Jaden Hardy, who he won the second round of this year's draft. Shout out to Coronado. He led that team in scoring with like right. 21 points a game. So if they can build up a fan base where I don't know how many seats that they're going to be able to hold at the DLC, but it's like you got like a good 5,000 maybe that right. are just like selling it out, the NBA is going to take notice of that. We know. I mean, I talked about Summer League already coming, and we, it gets started tomorrow. We'll be there. We already know how big Summer League is, right? How many fans come to, to watch that? I mean, it is massive from what it was years ago from my very first time going. I even remember when Little Q was a little dude and he went with my mom and uh, Floyd Mayweather was courtside. And, you know, all this, it was, it was, it was nice, but it wasn't massive. Now this thing is just taking on a, 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 an identity of its own. It's so massive. So that lets you know the hunger for hoop action here in the Las Vegas area. And remember, let's not get it twisted. Before there was anything else in this area, what was there as far as hoop action going? UNLV. Boom. That's how it started, right? That's how it started. That's when the running rebels were the running rebels. That's when, man, it was the coolest thing ever to be a running rebel fan. I don't care what face of earth you were from, where you lived, you were, you were rooting for the Larry Johnson-led team, the Jerry Tarkanians-led team, the Stacey Ogman-led team. That's the team that you were going for, right? Greg Anthony. Those were the cats you were going. J.R. Ryder. You know, all those cats. Those were who you were rooting for. So this town, you know what they love? They love hoops, locals and people that come to town. So, yeah, Damon, you're spot on. It is just another step before the NBA gets here. And then, by the way, you have a big-time name in the NBA and LeBron James that says he wants to bring NBA to Las Vegas. Oh, yeah, that's happening. <laughs> it's happening. So we'll talk to Sam Gordon coming up at 3.30 about the G League. We'll also talk to him about the Raiders and training camp as it's right around the corner, and he's on the beat for that. He's on the beat for UFC. I mean, Sam Gordon does a little bit of everything. He's a great go-to guy, so he'll join us at 3.30. At 4 o'clock, you'll hear my conversation I had with Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports. And the funny thing about this, in all transparency, I had this conversation with him this morning. I had the conversation with him this morning because he is doing some radio in Philadelphia right now, and so sometimes you just you can't get the guys live, so you have to go ahead and record the interview. I don't have any problem doing that. As long as it's quality and the guest is great, why not do it? So I talked to Jeff Kerr this morning. It was a good 12-, 13-minute conversation, and, of course, Baker Mayfield came up. At that time, Baker Mayfield hadn't been traded to the Carolina Panthers, so there's like one or two questions about uh, Baker Mayfield and where he can end up. Spoiler alert, we both said that Carolina would be a great spot for him, and we give a good reason why. So inevitably, he's going to Carolina. So that interview, I mean, it's not dated, but it just has a little spot of it about Baker Mayfield before he was actually traded to the Carolina Panthers. But you'll hear that conversation at 4 o'clock. It's still a really good conversation, all NFL-based. He has some really good things to say about the Raiders, has some good things to say about Josh McDaniels, Derek Carr. So you'll hear that coming up at 4 o'clock. And then at 4.30, Paloma Villacana from Fox 5 Sports, another one, just like Sam Gordon, who's all around town, does a great job. She'll be covering Summer League, but she's our ace when it comes to the aces, right? So she'll be at the game tonight at the Michelob Ultra Arena. They're taking on the New York Liberty. And, Damon, they need wins. They need wins. They have dipped down into second place, brother. Woo! And I, <laughs> it's funny you say that. They have dipped down into second place. I didn't think things, it was – hey, dog, they were wrong. running the league, man. They were running the league, and now they've dipped down in the second place. They literally have lost four out of the last six games. And the last game that they lost, it wasn't even close. I mean, it was, it, it was one of those games where I turned it on, and I was like, whoop, not today. And I turned that thing right off. I mean, that was, that was just a whooping. And, and Becky Hammond, Coach Becky Hammond, let it be known on the broadcast, she said, we got our ass kicked. Straight up, just like that. And that's what it was. I mean, they got worked. So they have a game against the New York Liberty tonight at the Michelob Ultra Arena. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good game, but we'll get Paloma's thoughts on all things Aces, also Summer League, and she'll be covering that. And we may dip into some UNLV as well, but uh, Paloma Villacana will join us at 4.30. We'll get off about 4.45-ish to make way for uh, Aviator Baseball, as we've been doing the last couple days. And, uh, man, we'll be ready to rock and roll. So we have a fantastic show lined up for you. Very excited. Deontay Lee at 2.30, Sam Gordon at 3.30, Jeff, at 4, Jeff Kerr at 4, excuse me, and then Paloma Villacana at 4.30. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. 
So on yesterday's show, we were talking about realistic yards for Derek Carr, realistic touchdowns. Could he get 5,030? That was really the theme of the show, right? And we had a lot of great feedback. And, of course, we always love to hear from you, Raider Nation, 702-365-9200 in the Salmon Ash text line, 69187, keyword R&R. We always love to hear from you. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, I really kind of want to focus on defense today. Now, I heard Harry talking about NFL execs. That was, it was out a, a piece was put out on, on ESPN.com about uh, – you know, top players in certain positions. And so when they were talking about edge rushers, they, they named Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. And it's funny that he talked about that during uh, his time while he was filling in for the JT The Brick Show because I had down on the run sheet to talk about Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. Like, that was going to be my focus today. But I also want to just talk about the defense in general. And this is really one of those situations that I want to get a lot of feedback from you. I really want to get your thoughts because I did a podcast on Tuesday talking about my top five storylines going into training camp and none of my storylines had to do with defense and someone called on my on my on my voicemail line and said hey you didn't talk about defense and I thought damn you're right I didn't talk about defense because I had five things that were offense related on the top of my head but I'm glad you pointed out the defense because again as many people pointed out yesterday Derek Carr can get 5,000 yards he can get 30 touchdowns if he gets a couple extra possessions if the defense is worth the salt so for the, the team to take that next step and, and make a, a playoff push, that defense is going to have to be at least worth the salt, if not better. Because last year, I, I, and I know statistically they weren't great, no doubt about it, but they were good enough to help the team get to 10 wins and get into the playoffs. So this team defensively has to step their game up. Max Crosby's been paid. Chandler Jones has been paid. There's guys that have been paid. Now they need to step up, and they're learning a new scheme. So this is what I want to throw out there to you, Raider Nation. I definitely want to hear from you. What are your realistic expectations for the pass rush duo of Crosby and Jones? Jones had 10.5 sacks and six forced fumbles a year ago. Max Crosby had eight sacks and no forced fumbles. And I want to stop and pause right there. We talked to Mo Moten on the show yesterday, and he did an over-under piece that was great, got a lot of burn, and he said that he thinks that this duo can be over 20 sacks, something that the Raiders have not had. They have not had a duo that went over 20 sacks since Warren Sapp and Derek Burgess. Shout-out to Derek Burgess, man. I was a big Derek Burgess fan when he was a member of the Silver and Black. That's a very long time. DeMond probably don't even remember who Derek Burgess is. He knows Warren Sapp by name, but he doesn't probably had, probably never saw Derek Burgess play. Uh, Q, that's where you're wrong, and you're gonna you said solid because you got kind of got me there. But he was pretty good in Madden. He was a good <laughs> okay. Pick up for there you go. You told you said all I need to know right there. Yeah, he's pretty good in Madden, but it's been a very long time. Let's put it like that. So I want to know your expectations for their sack total. But one thing that stands out to me because this is going to really segue into my next question as well when it comes to turnovers. One thing that stands out to me about Chandler Jones, what he did a year ago, yeah, the 10-and-a-half sacks is nice. He forced six fumbles. Six forced fumbles is a big deal. Remember we talk about the team and turnovers? You know how you get turnovers? Force fumbles. That's those strip sacks when you're getting to the quarterback. So if he has an opportunity, think about this, 10-and-a-half sacks – and six forced fumbles. And I didn't go back and look at every sack to see if he forced a fumble every time or, or six and you know six times. It doesn't even matter. The the matter is he forced six fumbles. So if he can do that, and I'm not saying he's gonna match that exact number, but if he can get a handful of forced fumbles, and Crosby, who didn't have any forced fumbles a year ago, can have a handful of forced fumbles, that's gonna increase the turnovers. So you give me your realistic expectations for the sack total. Hit us up and let us know about that. 702-365-9200. Salmon Ash text line 69187, keyword r And also, realistic turnover numbers for this defense. In 2021, six interceptions. Six! That's it. That's all they had. And they had 17 forced fumbles. So think about this. They forced 17 fumbles a year ago. Chandler Jones forced six on his own. On his own. So if you're going to do that, and the, and the Raiders recovered nine of them. So basically they had, what, 15 turnovers they created a year ago? And then teams were 12 or 21 on fourth down. So 24, if you want to put all that together, they had basically 24 total turnovers in 2021. How much better can they be in 2022? Can Patrick Graham's scheme and his system and his guys pin their ears back and get after the opposing offenses and create some turnovers? And can Chandler Jones and Max Crosby – exceed 18 and a half sacks, which, which they had total last year. And obviously Chandler Jones wasn't with the Raiders, but still, Unique Ngakwe had 10 and, and Crosby had 8. So there you go. It's just about the same number. What are the realistic expectations 
Hit us up and know, let us know about it. I want to hear from you. 702-365-9200. And then Sam and Ash text line 69187, keyword R&R. Don't forget, coming up at 2.30, Deontay Lee from The Athletic. And, of course, I'll talk to him about all things defense, talk to him about all things creating turnovers and how teams go about and how defensive coordinators go about trying to help their team and teach their team to go after the turnover. Got a text here from East Bay Raider Gray. Q, just to backtrack to yesterday's topic for a moment, Carr did throw 32 touchdowns in 2015. He could do 5,030-plus touchdowns, but he won't have to because the running game will be a big help this year. Okay, cool. No worries. Uh, I, I just I, – I don't even – like we said in yesterday's show, and then, uh, again, I'll continue to move forward with the defense. I don't even really care about if he gets 5,000 yards. It's the 30-touchdown mark that he really needs to hit. That's what's really – Really important. You get to the 30-touchdown mark, You're instead of getting field goals, you're getting a lot of touchdowns. But, again, and I thank you for the text. I do appreciate it. I really want to focus in on the defense today. Crosby and Jones, realistic expectations for that pass rush duo, and then realistic turnover numbers. They had t- 24 to- total turnovers when you look at interceptions, fumble recoveries, and stopping teams on fourth down. Again, they were 12 for 21. Teams were 12 for 21 against the Raiders on fourth down. So they stopped them nine times. Not a whole lot. So let us know about it, Raider Nation, 702-365-9200, and also 69187, keyword R&R. Sir Whiskey Ray had a funny. Q, I apologize for being late. I'm stuck in traffic. Sincerely, the cable guy, Costco driver, and the DoorDash person who will, who will eat your food. <laughs> That's from Sir Whiskey Ray. Talking about my guy that didn't show up to the, the house today. He's still in here. It's almost an hour later. Just saying. DeMond's in the home studio laughing like it's funny. You watch. You tell you, man. No, you're just a strong man of principle. I didn't know your principles were that strong. You to come, be late to work? You don't know that? No, but to say like I don't want the job at all. Oh no, I I don't be, need the job. They want the job. Oh. I want I want I mean he's asking me for my money. I want to pay him, but he don't want to come here on time, so no, I'm not gonna give him my money. I, there's someone out there that'll work and get paid, right? So this doesn't sound like an emergency, like oh man, we need like this pipe fixed. No, if okay. it was an emergency, I would have been home this morning and making sure it was taken care of. You know, I mean, this is just something that I – a service that I would like to get done, which mm. technically I've been calling and interacting with these people for about, I don't know, maybe two weeks now, trying to get someone out here. Finally, they call and say, hey, I'm going to – we're going to come out tomorrow. And they say, well, we, the, we can come out at 1.30. And I said, well, i got to be on the air at 2. And I said, okay, you know what? I'll do the show from the house. No problem. But you got to be here at one thirty. Okay, we will. It is 2.22. My man is still not here. So obviously he doesn't want to work that bad. Just saying. But you know, if all people know, I don't like anyone being late to work. Even when you ain't supposed to be at, a cer- at work at a certain time, I say, hey, what do I always say? Oh, you decided to show up to work today, huh? Yes, you do. <laughs> Sorry, man. That's just how I roll. That's how I roll. But I'm not worried about that right now. I'm worried about talking about defense. And, look, I'm looking at these guys when it comes to Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. And I'm thinking that Max Crosby is going to take that next step. I really do. I think that double-digit sacks is what he's definitely going to be aiming for this year. He had a ton of pressures, which is fantastic. But I do think he's going to get double-digit sacks. I think Chandler Jones consistently can get that double-digit sacks. I love the forced fumbles. I really do. Those six forced fumbles, man, that really stood out to me when I was you know, going back and looking at what Chandler Jones did a year ago. And he's a pro's pro. And the other thing about this, what I like about Chandler Jones and his six forced fumbles that he had a year ago, I'm assuming when training camp opens up, in just a couple of weeks, that he's going to be – that's going to be one of the tools, one of the tricks to the trade that he's going to be teaching the other guys, right? I mean, because, look, how much did Unique Ngakwe help Max Crosby grow last year? I don't think there was any mistake Max Crosby had a fantastic year across from Unique Ngakwe, who's been a seasoned veteran who you knew. And this is something I said before they even acquired Unique Ngakwe. I said, look, he's going to get you eight sacks, guaranteed. If you go back and look at his career, he's going to get you at least eight sacks. And he did. He got the Raiders ten. You go back and look at what Chandler Jones does. I mean, he's consistently that dude. He's not, he doesn't have 107 and a half sacks in his career for no reason, right? He's consistently that dude. But I think Unique Ngakwe really helped Max and, and showed him the way and, and showed him a couple you know, tricks to the trade that helped Max in that 2021 season. I believe Chandler Jones is going to be able to do that, not just with Max Crosby, but with the other guys. I think those two guys are going to really help lead the Raiders' defensive line and give these guys that are out there helping them out, giving a guy – uh, you know, that, that is, is new, newer to the game or a little younger in the game, showing them some different tools. And if Chandler Jones could teach somebody, teach multiple guys, the art of the strip sack, I mean, remember how much Khalil Mack used to do that? 
He used to always force a, a fumble. I'm not saying the Raiders will pick it up every single time, but just to force that fumble, that's massive. You're giving your team an opportunity to steal a possession, and normally it's in plus territory. You know, if, this, if, if you get a sack on the 20, on their 20, man, you're already in the red zone, right? You know what I mean? Like, that's how you steal extra possessions, and that's how you end up looking at a score at the end of the game, and you don't have to worry about it coming from behind because you're already a couple scores up because you had a couple short fields. That's, that's what it's all about. That art right there of forcing fumbles, it's not easy. It's not for everybody. But what did Chandler Jones and Max Crosby do earlier this year? They were at the Pass Rushers Academy, right? They were helping out teach guys. I think that's what's going to happen during training camp. I think you're going to start to see these guys really help each other out, really teach these guys the art of the strip sack, like a Malcolm Kuntz, a young Malcolm Kuntz. You think he couldn't use, uh, use that, that little trick to put on his tool belt? I bet he could. Got a text right here, and then we'll take a break. Gizmo said, don't get me wrong, Q, but as the defense stands now, I don't know, how, I don't know that our big two reached that 20-sack total this season. We've got linebackers that can't cover in secondary with holes, depth issues. I don't know if these, I don't know if these are worse than last year. Units can give the defensive line the time to reach the quarterbacks, especially in our own division. I hope I'm wrong, and I'm still all in on a 12-win offensive firework of a season. Either way, let's go Raiders. And and let me let me say, man, if they win 12 games this season, they're going to need some defensive help. They're not going to be able to just beat everyone in a shootout every single game. You're not going to be able to do that. And you know, look at look at Ngakwe and look at uh and, and look at Crosby. They had 18 sacks between the two of them last year. So I don't think that it's impossible for these guys to get to 20. Now they got to obviously step their game up, but that's that's part of it. You know, that's part of of the whole defensive unit working together. Like you said, you got to have corners, you got to have linebackers, you got to have safeties, you got to have guys that are working together. If the corners can can cover for an extra second, that's going to allow Max Crosby and Chandler Jones to get to the quarterback. If they can stop the run. Like, uh, like they're going to try to do as they've got a lot of big beef up the middle now. They went and, and got a lot of guys by way of uh, free agency to, to try to stop the run. If they can get teams in third and long, then quarterbacks have to hold the ball a little bit longer. I mean, everything plays a role, but you're right. There's, there's, there's areas of concern, and I, I definitely appreciate that feedback. Uh, so you're, you're not really on board with the 20-sack total, and that's okay. That's okay. That's why we throw the question out there and we ask you. 702-365-9200. Salmon Ash text line is 69187. Keyword R&R. Hold your calls right now because coming up next, Deontay Lee from The Athletic. We'll talk all things NFL defense. We'll dip into college football, even a little high school ball with Deontay. That's coming up next here on Red Nation Radio 920. That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Quarterback Baker Mayfield, the number one overall pick in the 2018 draft, is packing his bags and he is headed to the Carolina Panthers. Now this comes as Baker Mayfield has made it pretty clear he did not want to stay in Cleveland. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. That was the big news of the day right there. The inevitable finally happened. Baker Mayfield gets traded to the Carolina Panthers. Obviously, it's all pending a physical, but that's just something minor that'll be taken care of. And uh, the Carolina Panthers didn't give up much. We'll talk about it coming up at 3 o'clock in Cover 3. This is Unnecessary Roughness here on Radio Nation Radio 920. My man, DeMond Cotton, he's in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. I'm in the home studio. And right now, joining us on the phone lines is our good friend of the show, Deontay Lee from The Athletic, on Twitter at Deontay Lee FB. And Deontay, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. I really wanted to focus in on NFL defenses. And the first thing I wanted to do was think about what Patrick Graham, the new Raiders defensive coordinator, is attempting to do as the Raiders have traditionally been a 4-3 team. Now he's bringing in his base 3-4 scheme. And I know a lot of it's just kind of semantics, and a lot of it is just these guys are football players. They'll figure it out. But in realistic terms, as a football coach, how long do you think it will take for some of these guys to pick up the small nuances of the switch at the defense? Um, I think it all kind of happens on the sliding scale. I think that part of you know part of what you try to do to mitigate this is that you bring in guys who understand what the job is, right? And that explains going out and getting Chandler Jones because he's a guy who has experience playing as an eye front outside linebacker type who can help Max Crosby along. Then from there, like the rest of it, uh, most of it is just like fitting in body types, guys who can actually go out and do the job. Um, and, and a lot of that learning curve kind of happens within the front seven. For the most part, if you play corner or you play safety, I mean, that job has been that job for the most part 
across the entirety of your career, right? It's just about learning some of the simpler nuances or some of the more intricate nuances of, like, your communication or whatever the case may be. But up front is where most of the learning happens. Like I said, Chandler Jones, I think, is probably going to have to take on a pretty big role in, in helping everybody get up to speed on what it means to be a 3-4 outside backer, try to get bigger bodies on the interior. That might take a while to get used to. We definitely saw that with the Chargers last year with Brandon Staley, trying to get them, you know, in a different mentality on the interior. And they had a lot of growing pains in the run defense, trying to get themselves together and, and obviously had to address a whole lot in terms of personnel this past off season. So that's really where I will be focusing most of my energy on. And they already made some adjustments to the linebacker core. So those are the two position groups I think that kind of require the most attention is your defensive interior and your inside linebackers. Everything else I think they kind of have lined up to be able to make happen and out in the secondary, whether you're in base or nickel or whatever the case, football is football for you out there. The further away you get from the line of scrimmage, I think the more you know one-on-one matchups it is, and that's not as much of a scheme concern for me. You know, a lot of folks talk about when they talk about the secondary, you know, uh, zone coverage or, or man-to-man, and some have advantages, some have disadvantages based on who your player is that's out there. They're more comfortable in a certain scheme. As far as a 3-4 or 4-3, what would you say is in the 3-4 is your biggest advantage or disadvantage that a team may have playing that kind of defense? So 3-4 for me, the biggest advantage, especially kind of relative to where the NFL is at right now, is I think it positions you better to handle – the outside zones and the bootlegs and the play-action passing that we're seeing. And a lot of that is because by playing the 3-4 or playing with the 3-4 philosophy, even when you're in your four-down nickel package, a lot of that is about not having to ask your linebackers to go fit the run right at the line of scrimmage, right? Like, there's this term that I've, I've heard from Kirby Smart. I'm, I'm sure he's not the one who birthed it, but I've heard it from him, and it just stuck with me as a coach. And that's first level first, meaning – the biggest piece of being a successful 3-4 or odd front style of defense is that your interior defensive lineman can win the battle at the point of attack, right? And the more that they can do that, the slower your linebackers can play, and the slower your linebackers can play and use their vision more instead of just um, you know fitting the run at the line of scrimmage, like I said, the less airspace you're opening up in terms of play-action passing, you know, the RPO game, those intermediate passing windows, where you get those catch and runs, where something that already hurts is a 10 to 12 yard gain can now turn into an 18 to 22 yard gain after the catch, right? So that's the biggest thing, I think, in terms of making this transition from the 4 3 era, where, you know, I've kind of talked about it with the Legion of Boom in Seattle, and it existed before them as well, with, you know, the 40, as far back as like the 46 defense and Buddy Ryan, right? Like, I think that now we're kind of transitioning into a new era, the 3 4, a more modernized version of the 3 4, and a lot of that is just to address the fact that these, you know, passing games have become so efficient at creating explosive offense, and a lot of this is kind of based on the threat of running outside zones. So I think that this defensive structure just puts you in the best position to address both. You know, one concern that a lot of Raider Nation has is the fact that last time the Raiders' defense had a, a scheme that was somewhat complex. They were under Paul Gunther, and he just had so much going mm-hmm. on that it, it's like they had to think too much and they couldn't react. Under Gus Bradley, they were able to just go and play. It was just real quick, boom, boom, boom. Patrick right. Graham, it sounds like he's going to run multiple schemes and have different looks. Do you think that that is going to be difficult as far as having to think? Are these players going to have to think, or is there a way to kind of simplify it so they could just still go read and react? I mean, at the end of the day, he's a guy off the Patriots tree, right? So it would be disingenuous of me to say that it's just going to be simplified football. That's just not the way that the guys who come up under Bill Belichick look at the game. So there's certainly going to be a large mental aspect of it. What I will say, you know, and this is not only from his time in New England, but working under Brian Flores as well, and I think a lot of these guys um, who have left the Belichick tree recently – have in common is this characteristic of whatever it is that's necessary to get the advantage is what you are going to see the largest investment of their resources in. So, you know, whether it's playing a bunch of cover one, which you saw with, with Brian Flores when he felt like he had the corners, and then, you know, when they kind of took a step back in coverage the last year, year and a half, they played more cover three. You know, Bill Belichick has obviously been a major man coverage proponent, you know, as a coach over his, you know, the last five years or so of his career. Patrick Graham, to me, is probably the most malleable, I think, of the guys off the Belichick tree that are that are calling defenses right now from his time with the Giants. Um, you know, a couple of seasons ago, it was a lot of, like, 
drop eight and, you know, soft cover twos and playing split safety structures, a lot of softer zone coverage. And this last year when, when the Giants defense, I think, wasn't creating enough plays in the backfield to justify some of the softer zone coverage stuff, the adjustment that they made was to blitz more. You know, they spent a lot more pressure, played a lot more man coverage. And I think that they were kind of able to right the ship that way. So it will be hard for me to say that, hey, you know, it's going to be anything like Gus Bradley where it's like, hey, man, we're a four down front. We're playing with a single high safety in the middle of the field. It's straight cover three. We're not blitzing, and, and that's just what our defense is. That's certainly not going to be the case with Patrick Graham. But I would say as far as the silver lining where he might be different than Paul Gunther is, you're not going to walk into a game with, like, your entire menu of play calls <laughs> available to you. Right. It's going to be very focused in terms of, hey, this is what it's going to take to deal with Patrick Mahomes. This is what it takes to deal with Justin Herbert. This is what it takes to deal with Russell Wilson, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and, and that's where I think the focus is going to be. So from that perspective, I think that he's always going to be a defense coordinator that puts his defense and the personnel that he has available to him in the best chance to be successful. Talking right now with Deontay Lee from The Athletic here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. My man DeMond's got one for you. Yeah, Deontay, you had a tweet last night. It was the favorite thing about tracking NFL trends is what never changes. Cover one is and will forever be the defense that teams run when they want to get a team off the field. What is it about cover one that makes it that go-to defense? Well, at the end of the day, number one is it's matchup defense, right? It's the same as you know, in, in the NBA, there's a reason why people don't play the 2-3, right? You know, you're, not, you're probably not going to be a championship-level defense in basketball if you're running a 2-3 or 3-2 zone. Because at the end of the day, the best way to deny the ball, to deny completion, to give your pass rushers a chance to get home is to play tight in coverage, right? And, you know, at the college level, there's a lot of talk about, like, playing these, like, very intricate match quarters concepts. And, you know, we talk about that at the high school level as well. In the NFL, where you can pay a guy 12 to $18 million to go be the best coverage guy that he can be, the expectation has to be that, hey, you can deal with a one-on-one matchup when we got to get off the football field on third down, when we need to deny a touchdown in the red zone. And that's just what it comes down to in the simplest form, is that it's the best thing in terms of matchups. I can keep my best corner on their best receiver. I can keep my linebacker, who's a coverage liability, in the box and away from covering you know, a very talented tight end. So you get to play football in that way, and it's been effective for a lot of guys. Like I said, I mean, any era of football that you look at, the one thing that has kind of carried over and, and has you know, been copied by everybody who's been successful that I know of defensively is that on third down, third and medium, third and six and seven, when it's time to get off the football field, you're rushing four or more, and you're playing strict man-to-man coverage because that's the best way to deny the football and give yourself a chance to get your fourth down. And that's exactly what we're hearing that Patrick Graham is going to want to do. And, and, and Deontay, this is great stuff. Uh, we only got a couple more questions for you. My man DeMond wanted to ask you a couple college questions. But before we do that, I wanted to ask about turnovers. I started off the show talking about turnovers and the Raiders' lack of turnovers last year. 24 total if you're talking about interceptions, fumble recoveries, and also getting teams off the field on fourth down. How does a defensive coordinator, how can Patrick Graham go into training camp, which is coming up in a couple weeks, and kind of emphasize, put that emphasis on on trying to create turnovers? Because I know you can't count on them, but, man, some teams are just really good at creating them. Man, so much of it is circumstantial, and it's hard to say because, you know, your ability to force turnovers in a year does not guarantee that you're going to be good at it the following year in the same way that a lack of forcing turnovers in one year you know, is a signal that you don't have playmakers, you know. And I, I think at the NFL level, there are certainly guys, especially DBs, that you can look at and say, hey, this guy's got great ball skills and this guy might not, right? Like, that's certainly a possibility. But what I would say is for them, the biggest way or one of the biggest ways to me in football that, that you can kind of use to as a gauge to whether or not you can force turnovers is whether or not you can affect the quarterback, right? And you can do that a multitude of ways. Number one, and I think most reliably, is with pressure. Can you get home with four? If you can get home with four, that means you got more guys in coverage. More guys in coverage mean bad decisions can turn into turnovers more often, right? So that's where you start with. Then you can think about it from a coverage perspective instead of pressure. You know, do you want to change the picture? Do you want to show single high and then roll to two high or show two high safeties and roll to single high? You know, uh, Patrick Graham is a guy who, who uses what we call simulated pressures where you're bringing a guy who's not a traditional pass rusher or from a position that's not a traditional pass rusher, and you're dropping a guy who is in a position of a traditional pass rusher in the coverage, right? So you're still rushing four, but it gives the impression of a blitz. 
Maybe that confuses the quarterback. He tries to force the ball where there's going to be a coverage body. You get hands on it, force the turnover that way. Or he holds the ball for too long trying to figure out what the coverage shell is, and now you're able to affect it with pressure. So to me, it all comes down to the quarterback at the NFL level. And, and like I said, this is a guy that, you know, in, in the time that I've watched him as a play caller defensively, he's got about as full of toolbox as there is in terms of ways to try to change pictures and create confusion for an offense, for a protection scheme, for a quarterback. And that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to see him do with, with the Raiders. And I think that as they try to retool this defensive roster around him, it's going to be really important for him in year one and year two that he does kind of dig deep into that bag to try to create those turnover opportunities. Because it definitely was something that was, I think, sorely missed with Gus Bradley uh, last year. Yeah, Deontay, with you being a high school football coach and this the way the conferences are changing with the Pac-12, it might not be in existence in a few years because of the mergers that's right. been going on. How do you think that's going to affect recruiting, you being out down there in San Diego with kids? Hey, maybe they don't want to go to a school where, if, hey, man, you don't get those same home games or those away games that are close that your family can come and see you travel. Do you think that's going to have ramifications on recruiting? I will say right now, if I'm working in the office of the San Diego State, which is my nearby college, I'm probably pumping my fist that USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten. Um, you know, uh, and I think a lot of that is because of what you were saying, right? If you're a local kid who's a three star, you know, and, and maybe the pay, you know, we're going to see what the landscape of the Pac-12 is. But now, if you know, if my if my grandma, my mom, my aunt, you know, my dad and my uncle. You know, they're not sure about making it out to big Big Ten games or whatever the case may be, or you as a student athlete are not sure about, you know, playing a Big Ten schedule. Hey, maybe you can go to a San Diego State, who would be now, I think, one of the premier programs in the state of California that plays West Coast teams, right? So I do think that it's kind of interesting. Now, my real question is, you know, I think there's been a lot of conversation about, like, Oregon and Washington, the, the teams that we think would be closest to being – you know, powerhouses or potential powerhouses on the West Coast that are still kind of left holding the bag right now. I'm much more fascinated by, like, the Colorado, the Arizona, Arizona State, you know, Cal Berkeley, um, Oregon State, those types of programs, you know, what the future holds for them because it's really not clear. I think that you can find a soft landing spot if you're Oregon, right? you still got Nike in your backyard. Phil Knight is your biggest booster, and you are one of the premier programs that we've had over the last 15 years or so in college football. You know, there, there will be a home for you, and it may just end up being the Pac-12. Uh, so I'm really fascinated for that, you know, what that changes in terms of California recruiting, because if these, if these big schools all end up leaving for the Big 12 now and you got USC and UCLA in the Big 10, that does make for a very fascinating change in recruiting, and now we're talking about Midwest kids having an interest in playing for a West Coast team, you know, in USC and UCLA, or these kind of Mid-South teams, Mid-South kids. You know, if you're from Iowa down to Texas, you know, you might have an interest now in going to play for in Oregon or Washington or, like I said, in Arizona, Arizona State. So I'm really just kind of fascinated to see how all this stuff unravels. And I think, that, you know, watching just the change in culture that we have in college football now, it's hard to predict exactly what the unintended consequences are going to be, but I, I can guarantee you that we will have them. Yeah, and you mentioned about like the trends or where things are going to be. It's hard to predict, but do you see with just like these super conferences being formed that the style of playing college football is going to be almost homogeneous where everyone's playing the exact same style of football because there isn't that differential, hey, conferences, we play out this because we got a game plan for a specific set of opponents? I definitely think that that's something to consider. Like when I watch the SEC now, um, and maybe the SEC has always been this way, and we're just kind of seeing these adjustments incrementally. But a lot of these programs that I think don't all have access to the same level of talent, and certainly don't all have the same amount of talent on the roster, all seem to kind of play very similarly in terms of offense and defense. Now, I think some of that is influenced by the fact that Nick Saban has been there for as long as he has, right? So I think that a lot of that is just trying to copy and paste what you know to be successful in your area. But I am interested now when you talk about, you know, a Lincoln Riley at USC who might have to go play, you know, Iowa, you know, for a couple of years in a row. And who has to go play a Wisconsin maybe, who will have to go play these types of schools that maybe that have a much different brand and approach to football. I'm fascinated to see if that kind of changes the math for some of these coaches. And on the flip side, right, if USC goes or Chip Kelly and UCLA go up there and they start lighting it up, do Big Ten schools who don't geographically, I think, lend themselves very easily to play more of a wide-open offense? I think Ohio State and, and Michigan are maybe the only ones 
who I think are at a high level that have, you know, implemented the spread at some point or another. I wonder if that changes things, you know, in terms of the context there. And this all goes back to recruiting, right? Because now if you're a really good wide receiver in the area, hey, if Lincoln Riley's in town and Chip Kelly's in town and they're coming to knock on my door and you're telling me that I'm going to stay on TV, you know, where my mom and my family live, even though I'm going to be living out in Los Angeles, well, hey, that might be a little bit more interesting for me now than going to a Minnesota where I might be developed really well under P.J. Fleck, but it's certainly not going to be the same level of profile in terms of the school that I go to, in terms of the location I'm at, and then you obviously have to layer in all these NIL implications that I still can't wrap my head around right now. So, you know, like I said, it's just there are so many things that feels like they're up in the air, and, and every time I think we get a development in college football and the changing landscape, I, I leave it with more questions than I do answers. I've just had a good time kind of needling Oregon fans who have been trying to convince me for the last five, five six years that they don't need USC around to be as relevant as they have been, and now kind of watching the the the, green, the highlighter green panic that's happening, and they try <laughs> to figure out exactly what their future is going to be. Yeah, man, no doubt about it. There's a lot of questions, a lot more questions than there are answers. It's incredible how college football has just changed, and it's going to continue to change, evolve, and I don't know if it's for the better, but we will definitely see. Deontay, great stuff, great breakdowns, my man. Definitely appreciate you. What you got coming out in The Athletic that we can be on the lookout for? So right now, I'm actually, it's funny talking about this 3443 thing. I'm working on a project that I think is going to go a long way to kind of describing just how NFL defense works, you know, trying to like put these definitions to terms, right? So mm-hmm. when I'm talking or somebody that works at my company is talking about defense or just somebody on ESPN, for all I know, is talking about defense, they have a reference point that they can go back to and say like, Oh, okay. When somebody's talking about too high, this is what they mean. When somebody's talking about quarters, this is what they mean. When somebody's talking about a slot defender, this is what that means. So I I really wanted to kind of focus in on that and create this, I guess, this living, breathing document that we can use as a reference point for a long time. You know, I I think that'll be important. You know, my biggest thing, the whole reason why I'm working in this field now is trying to get, trying to make this game more accessible to the people who are really passionate about it. I think all the people who watch football love football, but not everybody who watches is really knowledgeable on what they're watching, right? And I think that basketball and baseball have gone a long way to educating their fans, and I don't know if the same thing has happened in football, and I think that because I exist between these two worlds, between coaching and media, I I can do some work in trying to bridge that gap, and that's what I'm trying to set out to do. I love it. I really do, and that's exactly why we had you on. I wanted you to kind of give a little bit of a breakdown because we say three, four, four, three, like everyone just understands exactly what we're talking about. But sometimes you got to dumb it down. It's not a disrespect to anyone. It's just like, hey, just so you know what we're talking about when we say exactly what you just said. Great work, Deontay. Can't wait to see that. I think it's going to be awesome, and we definitely appreciate your time this afternoon, my man. Man, I appreciate you guys having me. No doubt about it. There he goes. Great work. Deontay Lee from The Athletic on Twitter at Deontay Lee FB. Again, on Twitter at Deontay Lee FB. He's got a lot of good work out there, and uh, that's exactly why it's so funny that he said he's putting that together. That's exactly why I wanted him to break down the 3-4-4-3 three, because four, four, three, we say it like it's nothing. We just throw it out there. But I know that there's someone randomly listening thinking, yeah, I don't really know what the difference is, you know, besides the numbers are different. Well, that's why we have Don- Deontay Lee on there to break it down, and that's why he's putting together the piece that he's putting together. 2.51 is the time. We've got to take a quick break. We'll come back, close out hour number one. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Had a really good conversation in the last segment with Deontay Lee from The Athletic talking all things NFL defense, also dipped into some college football as well. I'm here at the home studio as my man DeMond Cotton's in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. I'm in the home studio today because I had an appointment that I was supposed to have at 1.30 that I still have not, my guy still has not reached out to me or anything, so he just blew me off like nothing. So it's okay. That's fine. So I lost once because I'm, I'm at the home studio instead of the, the radio station. I made my way over here. So I'm already angry about that. And then DeMond lets me know that today apparently is, I guess, National Fried Chicken Day. I guess that's what they say. And we had fried chicken delivered to the radio station from Joe's Seafood, Prime Steak, and Stone Crab, which is located in the forum shops at Caesars. And DeMond looks up at me as he's got the little Zoom call going and is like, man, this was some great chicken. So, Damon, I ask you, since I didn't get any of this chicken, because I came home to open the door for the guy who never showed up, 
what did I miss out on when it comes to this fantastic chicken? Okay, Q, so not only did they deliver the chicken, it was excellent fried chicken. Also fries and a key lime pie. So, I wow. mean, they gave, they gave us it all. They gave us the whole thing. But, and you took it all. Oh, you know what? I still got to go back and get a slice of pie. You know, can't, don't want to get too full before you come on air. So hopefully there's still some in there. But slice of pie, that's dessert. After the show, I'm going to go in there and get a piece of that. But the fried chicken, I had a couple of pieces of that. I had to. And it was pretty good. And I guess, like, you know, with the theory of the restaurant, you know, with all these prime options, you know, with, hey, man, you got that good seafood. You've got the steak. And it's just like, hey, guys. If you're a picky eater, you know how some people, they only want the chicken tenders or something, right, no matter right. where they go. Sound like my son. Yeah, look here, man. We go out to eat or something. Yo, we go out to eat, and we, I'm getting a prime uh, bone-in ribeye, and he's like, I'll, I'll take the wings. Like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, so you got, like, that ribeye. You've got, right. like, the, the seafood that we know can be pretty right. expensive. But then you got some affordable fried chicken, and not only is it affordable on the menu, it's delicious. Wow. So I'm putting wow. them over. Yeah, that's what I'm, he- I'm hearing. A plus. I'm hearing that it's, it's really the fried chicken is like the hidden gem of the menu. Like, that's, that's awesome. I'm reading the description right now. Joe's fried chicken features a half chicken dredged in seasoned flour and then dipped in egg wash and a secret sauce, I believe. It has been a staple of the Joe's menu dating all the way back to the inception of the original Joe's Stone Crab in 1913 in Miami, Florida. So not only did the guy that I was supposed to answer the door for not show up and I missed that appointment, not on my fault but his, but I also missed this fantastic food from Joe's. And then I don't know if it's going to be like this in Vegas because, you know, everything's a little bit more expensive in Vegas. But at the original one in Miami, the price for the fried chicken is still under $10. Oh, wow. Well, hey, you know, there's always inflation. <laughs> but I'm, it, look, I'll, I'm that guy that I don't mind paying a little bit more if it's good. Right. I don't want to pay like I did the other day when I came into the radio station and I was hot and I was like, man, I can't eat this stuff that's out here now. It's still that stuff cost 10, 12, 13 dollars and it was gross. So if 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 Joe's chicken is about 10 bucks or a little under 10 bucks, I'll pay it every day of the week and twice on Sunday if it's as good as you're saying it is. And apparently from multiple reviews that I'm seeing and reading and getting and even people at the radio station, they're like, you, you missed out today. Great. Great. You guys bring chicken when I'm gone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Can you bring some chicken back tomorrow? Oh, no. I'll be in Summer League tomorrow. Damn it. I can't win. 2.59 is the time. Many thanks to Joe, though, for, uh, or for Joe's for delivering the fantastic chicken for us today. And uh, DeMond is definitely appreciative of that. And I'm sure during the commercial break he's going to go run and make sure he gets some of that key lime pie. That's the thing. You better go just get it and put it to the side. Because if not, someone's going to get it. Someone's going to get you. Like, Jared is probably going to be running around there. Cofield might get – Ari, I know Ari's a little skinny mini, but he might go grab some too, so you better go ahead and do that. But Joe Seafood, Prime Steak and Stone Crab, 3500 Las Vegas Boulevard, located in the Forum Shop at Caesars. Go check him out today and let him know Unnecessary Roughness at Radio Nation Radio 920 sent you. Cover 3 is coming up next.